It's always good to be here. Uh, I like to always update you on what I'm doing. And um, recently, I've always been sharing about my uh, fashion uh, statements that I wear. And uh, I'll do the same today. You're wondering where I got my shirt. It's Marshall's. You're wondering where I got my socks. It's Uniqlo. I finally bought something from Uniqlo. Uh, you know, it's, it's the rage, uh, you know. Uh, but the two articles of clothing that has significance to updating where I am is my pants. My slacks are from Sears, if you didn't know that. And uh, my shoes are from Skechers. But if you look very closely, there's some white marks on my Skechers. But they're not uh, marred or any way because what I'm doing is I'm doing uh, construction. My uh, daughter, who had left for college when she was eight, around 18 years old, um, lived in Los Angeles and then Maryland, and uh, she's about 30 now and married with, with two kids, with a third coming on the way, actually. And uh, there, she's moving back. The whole family is moving back to the Bay Area, and they're staying with us. They came 10 days ago, and they're going to be uh, moving into a home in the East Bay. Now, everyone, everyone knows the Bay Area is very, very, uh, it's very pricey, OK? I just want to tell you, OK? I said it. It's expensive, OK? Not going to fool anybody. So in order for them to get in, they scraped up all the money they had, and they had to get a, a home that uh, needs some work in it. And so um, if you didn't know, I did construction when I was in my 20s. And though I might look young, I'm no longer 20, OK? Uh, and so I did something which I think I might regret. I told them, I'll redo your house for you. Because I can't, I don't have any money to give you, so I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you my energy and my, my whatever pseudo expertise, you know. <laughs> I took down 2,000 square feet of interior wall. I rewired every outlet except for one. Okay, so don't hold that against me that I left one out. Okay. I hung 2,000 square foot of sheetrock. God's grace to me was I didn't have to do the ceilings, okay? Because then you do it your head or you get this little crank thing, you know? Just did, but that's hard enough, half inch is about 45 pounds of sheet, you know? And uh, my, my son-in-law helped in the installation of the sheetrock, God bless his soul, you know? But I, I mud and taped them. I'm in the process of putting in 1,400 square feet of flooring. I'm about four, four, 500 doing it. But, <clears throat> and, I, and I wear these slacks and I wear these shoes, you know? And uh, I said, you know, they, they're very comfortable. Yeah, they're, they're not the most stylish thing, okay? I just want to tell you, okay? If I want to be style, I wouldn't buy this stuff, okay? But they really work well, and they wear well, and they, they help me work. Now, the thing is, you didn't know also, uh, I also have, a, <laughs> I have an autoimmune disorder, okay? It's like lupus, a little bit like arthritis, or rheumatoid arthritis, not really rheumatoid arthritis, more like lupus. But I have it generally under control, except when I'm overly tired. And I'll tell you, the last six weeks have been cruel to me. Okay, because I gotta do work, I'm teaching and everything, and I'm preaching, and then I got uh, my spare hours, I'm, 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 I'm hanging drywall. Okay, hanging drywall, okay. And so this week, it was fierce, man. My arthritis is fierce, you know. Ibuprofen is my friend, you know, I'll tell you that. I, I get the big bottles from uh, Costco, you know, the big ones, you know. Uh, you know, and, and uh, I just took two before uh, I preached today. I feel a little better, you know. I just feel, I said, where am I, you know. I, it's just, 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 I just feel really better, you know, because, uh, because I could cope with it. But if I had my wish, 
I wish I didn't have it. I just wish I didn't have it because uh, last night, as also a side effect of it, I got chills and a flu uh, and, 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 a, and a fever, not a flu, a fever, and uh, with like I can't move at night type of, of feeling, you know? And uh, well, it's not a good feeling, but what's interesting is that in the journey that I have with God, uh, I'm in a lot of joy in the midst of all this kind of, I wish it didn't work out this way in my life, you know? I'm in a lot of joy. Because what I found out that for me, see, I'm different than people, okay? Uh, because I'm, in, I'm an, an Asian male, and uh, I, I, I shouldn't be as emotional expressive. You see, I don't know what happened to me, you know? Uh, I should be more quiet. A math major, you know? But, you know, I was an expressive man. And so I'm a little bit more emotional, you see? And what was always the issue with me wasn't doing the work or showing up, but where was my emotion and my spirit when things didn't really work out the way I thought they should? The curveball. Whenever I was in control, it's okay. But when it doesn't quite come out the way or the lows are a little longer than you want it, or when a chronic illness, a struggle, that's six years now for me, a chronic illness, you know, that will never go away. Ah, how, how, how do you deal with it? You know, for me, the learning of the grace of God to keep Jeff's head screwed on right and to have a sense of joy is a great thank I give to God for the grace he has given to me. And what I want to do is, in this next half hour, if any of you share in your life at this moment a burden that is causing you to spin, for some it might be a believer, but something has happened, and always things happen in life, be it relation or financial or something. Or you could be someone who just, this is your first sermon ever in a church and you felt like you needed God and you want to find him because you need some extra assistance in life because there's something you cannot cope with. Allow me to share with you some thoughts of this sermon of this great person of faith. Because my experience of the ups and downs in life, I believe, look, I don't hide anything. I mean, I'm telling you about my pants at Sears. I have no shame at all, okay? <laughs> so why am I to hide, okay? Look, I want to be as honest as I can. Life doesn't always deal the cards to you the way you want it, okay? How do you live? How is a people of faith or people open to faith? How do you cope? How do you keep your head screwed on right? How are you above the fray? Because I have felt in American society, it's not really that we don't have material things. The material things, I think, in America, we have, okay? So it was, it's, it's not a matter of things. For Americans, it's a matter of the soul. It's a matter of the psyche. And that is as much real 
as material want, that other places in this world are less fortunate than we are. How do we become a person above the fray? Now, I've chosen this person named Habakkuk, and I didn't, I'll tell you, I didn't make up the name, okay? I'll just tell you, I've never met someone named Habakkuk before. You know, it's one of these, like, uh, I don't think you're going to make it, you know. Even 100 years, no one's going to name them, them Habakkuk, okay. You know, the name would be Cucky or something. Ah, that doesn't sound right to me, you know. That's like, what is that nickname, you know. He's an Old Testament prophet. He writes a very short book, three chapters. You've probably never read anything from this person. You probably don't even know, it's like, I can't, if you tell me where is it in the, I, guess I, I, have to, I might have to look at the table of contents myself to find out where he is, you know? But within his book, there is something that he is going through because unlike the other prophets of God, and the prophets were like messengers of God, very bold, the other prophets of God were speaking truth that God has given to them to a society of people. Unlike those other prophets, Habakkuk's deal in Habakkuk's book, is God is dealing personally with his own, in his soul, because he has to figure out something. He has been faithfully proclaiming God to this, to this people, but he himself needed to understand something that God had to reveal to him. It's a very, very personal book. To also help you to understand Habakkuk was ministering and living at one of the most worst times in Israel's history. He was using the analogy. It's as if three of the four wheels of the wagon had fallen off. And it was still moving, but it's skidding all over the road. And it's gonna be a matter of time before the fourth one falls. And he's questioning God, what in the world's happening? I mean, I'm doing this as your messenger, but look, look, look at this mess here, you know? And within Habakkuk, in the three chapters, there is this famous verse that will be three times used in the New Testament. And it's going to be shown up on the, script, on the screen. It's in Habakkuk 2.4. goes like this. This is in the section where God is revealing himself to this prophet to try to soothe his soul. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. I love that. Because in this passage, for some, it's not about what you do or what you achieve or what you know. In this instance, it's about what is gnawing, gnawing within the individual heart of this man. Something is not right within him, within the soul. But the righteous will live by his faith. So somewhere in this book, faith is going to be the remedy for what ails the soul and what causes the great unrest within. Are you in unrest? I guarantee in your life you will be. And if not, now in unrest. How do we deal with it? How do we keep our heads screwed on straight and be above the fray? Well, I have three passages for you. 
And uh, each passage is significant because they reveal the process in which Habakkuk is being transformed. The first passage is found in chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, and I'll read it. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. Now, the vision is actually in chapter 2. Chapter 1 is his own words. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? Habakkuk's praying. But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere I cry, but you do not come to save. How this book begins is what a lot of people ask God all the time, even today. You are not the first. Habakkuk was not the first. I will not be the last to bring this up. Life is a mess. I pray, where are you? I say, oh, wow, that, that, that's so insulting to God. I want to tell you, this is, Hab this, is a, this is a prophet of God asking God, God this. You know, he says, you know, look, look. I tell you, I want to be truthful. I have unrest in my soul because I've prayed to you and you have not listened to me. And what was he prayer? It's not a personal thing. He says, violence is everywhere I cry, but you not come to save. Verse 3, must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. Now, in the Old Testament and the New, there are many categories of wrongdoing. Sometimes wrongdoing is how you disrespect God. It's very, very personal. Sometimes wrongdoing is what you trust in, the idols that you have in life, what you think is going to deliver you, like money and things like that. Sometimes wrongdoing is, is perhaps, uh, you know, saying something, you know, a slip, and what you're thinking in your mind, hatred. But this is overt wrongdoing, and it's community. And it's violence amongst each other and people suing each other and people taking advantage of each other and the people hired to protect the rights and to provide justice. They're not doing their job because even those who are to guard the peace are being paid off. And as it says, the wicked far outnumber the righteous. We have passed the tipping scale and justice is perverted. This is very, very important for his point because unlike us, we get discomfort within, usually for personal issue. Life is not right in relationships, difficult situations, jobs, family. In some sense, Habakkuk has a greater gnawing. It's a societal gnaw within his psyche. Violence is everywhere, and we are the people of God, and there is no justice. 
Here's the first point, important point that I want to bring up for considerations. We need to be concerned about evil, but more than just evil, societal evil. This is really a hallmark of someone who truly understands what it means to grow in Christ. Because you realize that it's not just you and God. You will also begin to realize that it is how people interact with each other because it's, 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 it's the demonstration of God's love to other people around you. And, and you should be upset about these things. I think in modern life, you realize that when there is evil or wrongdoings, we as Americans get very, very upset and we blame the president or blame the, the mayor or the governor. What are you gonna do about it? What are you gonna do about it? That occurs in many levels, some on very humorous sports levels, some on very serious level. I'll begin with a, a sports analogy, sports illustration. I'm a big sports person. Go Warriors, you know, Steph Curry, you know, he's really good, you know. <laughs> Boy, he's a good, he's a, he's a Christian too, you know, he's a really amazing. But when he's going to turn 15, you know, I just wanted, he's, he's just like a little too young, you know, he's, gonna, he's young. So, now, the thing is, it's not about basketball, it's about football. Now, there's this thing happening with the New England Patriots. You say, who are the New England Patriots? Sounds like a good team. They're evil. I want to tell you, if you're from Boston, okay, forgive me, okay? But I just got to tell you, I'm from New York. Boston Patriots or New England Patriots are evil. First, they have an evil coach, and then their quarterback has been um, tampering with the footballs. Because there's this thing called the flake gate, and he's taken the air out, or someone's taken the air out. And one of the managers, like, uh, uh, like uh, equipment managers, taking the ball, saying he's going to the bathroom. What are you going to the bathroom with footballs? <laughs> and why are you going to a room where there is no toilet? It's like, a, this doesn't make sense, you know? What are you doing to those balls? I don't want to touch them, you know? Uh, 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 he's taking air out of them, you know? He's taking air out of the football. So the NFL finally came down in a ruling this week. Tom Brady. And he's like a great looking guy, married to like a fashion model, you know, like lives in a castle or something like that, you know? Uh, he gets four game suspension for next year. The team gets a million dollar fine and they lose a first and a fourth round draft pick, okay? Now, uh, anyone who's a sports, I'm a big sports fan, we demand justice. There cannot exist in professional sports cheats. As a matter of fact, if the NFL and the commissioner, Roger Goodell, did not come down, I would have lost faith in all mankind. <laughs> because we demand justice, this world would spin out, we would lose the orbit around the sun, because, you know, <laughs> look, uh, you might disagree that four-game suspension is too harsh. Others would say it should have been two years, you know. The fact that we demand justice brings peace to my soul. It brings faith in the end of it. It's not a big fix. That's good. Now, I say that jokingly, but I'm not my joke. I'm a sports fan. I'm from New York, you know. I don't think the, the penalty was harsh enough, you know. Uh, Banned for life would have been good. Okay, I'm just joking. I'm just joking, you know. Uh, joking. Just joking, you know.
Now it gets more serious. You realize that in America, there have been some, a lot of unrest between um, you know, uh, police officers in some, some cities in, in America and some very, very unfortunate things. Uh, just recently, two officers were, were gunned down in Hattiesburg, uh, Mississippi. Uh, and just, uh, you know, ch checking a car and they shot the police, but they stole the police car. It's this really, uh, really bad thing. And then prior to that, there's riots in Baltimore. Uh, and there's very, very unfortunate. They, they arrested someone, put him in a police paddy wagon, and he died of like spinal brain injury. It's really, it's really bad, and the, and there are riots, in, in, and then before that, there are other riots in other places too, because it, this is this year has not been good in 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 the cities, you know. Yeah, because Americans, yeah, we demand a sense of justice. What are you gonna do about it? Because you don't have to be a religious person; you could be agnostic, you could be an atheist. We all have this sense that we need a sense, we need justice. And that justice should be fair. And it should not be, you know, oh, you paid me off, and you know, so I'll let you go, and things. We all get upset at that. You know, be, you know, have that any religion to understand that. What is gnawing at Habakkuk is unbridled violence amongst the people of God. What are you gonna do about it, God? Pray to you. You created us, delivered us from Egypt, gave us the law. And this is what we have become. This is not what I signed up for. You are God. You should be able to rein in everything. Manipulate people. Do something. But don't let this happen. You know, did I, did I, did I already uh, show up the first one? Yeah, we already did the first one, that, that, that we need to be concerned about evil. Now. As we go in this passage, you see God interact with Habakkuk because it's really God needing to deal with the soul of one of his people. And basically, there's a passage in between the, this one and the one I'm going to read where God says to Habakkuk, don't worry. Actually, I am doing something. I am raising the Babylonians, and they're going to uh, bring justice to the evil society that you are living in, which sounds good, but it brings another gnawing question to the psyche and the mind of Habakkuk. And that gnawing question is, is found in the next passage we're reading, Habakkuk 1, 13 to 17. It goes like this. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil. You cannot look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously, why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? Now there's the issue. It's first a matter of why is there evil in the society? The wheels are falling off and it's like the tipping scale. I don't know how to put you know, the water back in the, in, you know, the, in the bottle. You know? It's all spilling all over. Now God says, I'm raising the, the Babylonians. And Habakkuk then says, I don't like that plan. Because these Babylonians are worse than us. How does that work, man? Okay, we're not saints. We're not choir boys. 
Okay, we're a little bit like the New England Patriots. Cheat. But we're not bad. We're not as bad as those people coming to wipe us out. Those people are terrible. You're talking about a justice that is overdoing it. And people all around the world hate it when justice is overdone. We want justice that fits the crime. We don't want anything less. We don't want anything a lot more. We kind of want it just right. And God's going to bring these people. And they're terrible. And Habakkuk knows that they're terrible. And it bothers him. Because how could God use someone more terrible to bring justice to his people? Continue to read verse 14. Why have you made men like fish of the sea, like creeping things without a ruler over them? Now, this is, this is I'll tell you, this is God's prophet. So it's not like anyone off the street, okay? This is a prophet of God, questioning God, true in his heart. We're like ants, man. There's no, it's anarchy. People walk around, step on them, you know. It doesn't make any sense in life. Why have you made men like fish of the sea, like creeping things without a ruler over them? They're just walking all around. 15, the Chaldeans bring all of them with a hook, drag them away with their net. You've sort of made the Chaldeans the king. And gather them together in their fishing net. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they offer a sacrifice to their net and burnt incense to their fishing net. Their power, their ability to gather all the nations to defeat them is their God. They love their war because through these things, their catch is large and their food is plentiful. Verse 17, will they therefore empty their net and continually slay nations without spurring. They're a machine. They catch fish, they dump it out, they put it in the sea, catch more. Then they dump it out, catch more. I don't like the plan, man. I don't like the evil. I don't like the plan because the justice is overdoing it. And, and there's the second point of consideration, that we need to be concerned about fair justice. And that's a very, very human type of characteristic. We want justice that is fair. That's why you have the, the, this unrest. We want fair justice, okay? What is it? The issue with Habakkuk is that in his dialogue with God, there is no fairness in his mind. It's not working out the way that he wants it to work out. In the perfect world, God manipulates people to rein in wrongdoers so that you are protected. In a perfect world, there is perfect justice where everyone, the good bad guy is always caught and the good guy always is set free. But life doesn't work like that. Will they empty their net and continually slay nations without sparing. It's gnawing at his soul. 
because he cannot be at peace with what he sees coming down the road. You know, I think everyone in life, whether you're a religious person, irreligious person, whether this is the first time at a church or you're a veteran, I think you've all experienced this. You see something coming down the road. And, and uh, no, no, you don't like it. You see it unfold before you. You, you wish it didn't occur because you don't like the ending. And for the bulk of us, it sends us into a tailspin. And I'll be very frank, because we feel trapped. I don't think there's a worse feeling than feeling trapped in life by what's coming down the road. You can't do anything. I don't like it. How do you become above the fray with that? There's a passive scripture that I'm gonna show you now. It's not in your program, but it's in Habakkuk 2, 18 to 20. And in Habakkuk chapter two is, is, is an important chapter. The first chapter is Habakkuk's question to God. Habakkuk two is where God finally reveals himself in a vision Okay, uh, and uh, Habakkuk 3 is Habakkuk's prayer. At the end of chapter 2, we have these verses where God responds to the question of this prophet. What prophet is the idol when its maker has carved it? Or an image, a teacher of falsehood? For its maker trusts in his own handiwork when he fashions speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a piece of wood, awake, to a mute stone, arise. And that is your teacher. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all inside it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Now, some of you may have been familiar with this last verse, the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth be silent before him. But perhaps it's good to know the context of this verse. This verse was given to give an answer to Habakkuk who had this question, how can you use the more evil to bring justice to the less evil? And we're not saints, but I don't like your plan. Habakkuk is given this answer by God. He said, look, let's look at the idols of Babylon. They're made out of wood, carved out of stone, made beautiful with gold inlay. But they cannot talk, they cannot move, they're dead. They cannot save them. They're nothing. So God makes Habakkuk look way beyond the circumstance that they are going to experience and says, look above. Look at who their God is. They're made out of human hands. They're nothing. They don't even exist. They cannot save them. But your God is in his temple, and all the world, earth, is silent before him. 
The contrast is stark. The idols of Babylon cannot talk. Compare that to the glory of the God of Israel who can talk and when you see his presence, you are struck speechless. Oh, this is a frightening God, man. <laughs> this is awesome God. This is a majestic God. For some people, it's, I can't take this God. Too fearful, too frightening. I want a more user-friendly God. Someone, buddy God, you know? Someone, you know, I don't want this God. This God's too scary. I'll tell you what. There's an aspect of God in which he sends his son in the form of a man so he can sympathize with us. He's our high priest. It's like, like he, 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 the whole aspect of Christ coming down is that he, God can sympathize with us. So there's a relational aspect of God. But I want to tell you in, in light of Habakkuk chapter 2, 18 to 20, I am glad that God is this way, another aspect of God, because I'm glad that I'm not God. Okay, I might be buddy-buddy with everybody, but you should be thankful that God is not a human being. And I'm thankful that you're not God, okay? You're fine people, but I'm just thankful that you're not God, okay? Because when things go wrong, I think I need confidence in a God who has the big picture in order, and at the end of the day, and the day is long, everything will be taken care of. And the evil will be taken care of, and the evil, evil will be taken care of. And we are not to be afraid because the evil, evil have no God. It is a majestic picture of the Almighty. Let the earth be silent before him. Now, with this image of God, we come to the last passage in your program and we will be dismissed shortly. Chapter three is the prayer of Habakkuk. And uh, I'll just, we just have verse 16 to 20, uh, 19 uh, on your program. Verse 16, I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound my lips quivered, decay enters my bones and in my place I tremble because I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade us. Okay, I'll tell you something. Habakkuk is a realist. He's not saying it's not going to happen. If I cross my fingers, throw salt over my shoulder, everything's going to be fine, you know? No, it's inevitable. We're going to be taken away like fish. I think it's very, very important because from a faith standpoint, it is not that you don't see life in its reality or that you live in some dream world where evil and the result of evil is not present. Habakkuk knows full well what's going to happen. 
the whole book's about that. He knows it's coming. He cannot stop it. Verse 17, not only does he know it's coming, but in verse 17, though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the field and there be no cattle in the soil, though we have, they're not going to be invaded, we have nothing. Nothing. Okay, before we get the last two verses, how does that make you feel? You see that coming down the road. Okay, I got, I got like autoimmune, you got chronic illness, we got financial burden living in California, we got relational problems. Okay, I'll tell you, what we've experienced is real and not pleasant. But you know what? It's not this. This is bad. This is very bad. And this is what makes the last two verses so remarkable. Yet I will exalt in the Lord, and I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. There's a joy within the trembling. Now that's a remarkable balance there. A joy within the trembling. And then he's experiencing the Babylonians. He sees it coming down the road. But he views himself as a mountain goat on the rocky places, on a high mountain, looking at the fray. But he's in the fray because he's going to be swept over by the Babylonians. But in a sense, he is not in the fray. He is on the mountains looking down on the fray. He is there, but he is not. Because his soul is strengthened by God, and he realizes that at the end, the majestic God will bring all things to pass and will make all things right. And that is his trust. It is a remarkable statement. Habakkuk is not in denial. He is scared. But he is confident. And in a, and at peace because of his God. Look, you and I, and I'll start with myself. Oftentimes I wish I was dealt a different hand in life. My confidence isn't because I got a good hand. I have come to learn that more and more as I grow in Christ, my confidence comes not in my own strength or because I could handle everything well, but God is my salvation. God is my salvation. And I'm in the fray, 
but in a strange sense, my soul is at peace within me, for I am above the fray, for my confidence is in another plane. For some of you who are believers, you need to be reminded of this truth, because some of you are going to be in a tailspin, and you're wondering, where is God? You have been faithful. Allow God to lift you up. That as you see what is coming down the road, the soul of you, the inward part, is immune. If you're a person who just came into this church and this is your first sermon, You've come to seek out possibly God. Perhaps you need his aid in life, as all humankind needs his aid in life. Allow God to take what is coming down make you victorious in the inner person because you finally realize that it is not the circumstance in life that your confidence is in but in the strength of my God or a God who is going to reveal himself to you. You know, this is one of the greatest truths I've ever learned in life. Because I'm not going to fool you or fool me thinking the life's going to turn out happily ever after for the all of you. For some of you, it will. You will live your dream life. For others, you will you will never find your dream. For all of us, life will never turn out the way we kind of wished it would. What we need above the fray that Christ gives to us. I'm going to end this service. No, one went a little long. It's the last one. I let it all hang out. Last one all the time. We're going to have a receiving of offerings and a final song. Allow me to pray for you. Well, Heavenly Father, I pray for these, my friends. I pray if anyone is burdened, Lord, that you begin to lift us up through the grace that is found in you. Let no one leave here feel crushed, but bring a sense of joy and peace wherever we are. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name.